Welcome to Weekly Wisdom from Jubilee Circle. We teach the common wisdom of love and unity that is found in all mainstream religions, metaphysical teachings, mysticism, and inspired secular and religious writers and teachers throughout the ages. Our goal is to help you connect with your higher divine self and transform from the inside out so you can become a force for love and transformation in the world. Each week, we bring you wisdom from our founding spiritual director, Reverend Candace Shalhoub, and other guest speakers. We hope you enjoy this week's Words of Wisdom. If I have learned anything this past week, it is that I am not an enlightened master yet. Yes, and I am not in danger of becoming one anytime soon. My anger and my hatred were sparked by the passive-aggressive actions of a former neighbor. Yeah. Bob and Keith know what I'm talking about. That in reality is a mere nuisance. Thank you. (laughs) But my reaction was out of proportion to the problem. So here's the thing, though. In the past, this kind of action, and you really don't need to know the details, but this kind of action, it would have sent me down an emotional spiral. I would have obsessed over the situation. I would have lost sleep over it. I would have complained continuously to anyone who would listen. God bless Beth. (laughs) I would have wallowed in my feelings of victimhood. In this instance, though, my, my anger, it really only lasted for a few minutes. Mainly because I don't like feeling like that anymore. I don't like it. I used to love it. It used to feel powerful. But now it was just awful. I used to, I mean, my my, my anger was my thing, man. I'd roll around in it and feel all self-righteous and put upon. But now I'm willing to see things differently. Yeah, this neighbor is acting in a petty manner. But instead of anger, my first reaction should have been compassion. It was Bob's. I'm going to give it to Bob. Bob has been my, Bob was my Buddha. But that should have been my first reaction, but it wasn't. But truly, I agree with Bob. Her her actions, I believe, come from a, a place of deep pain and suffering. The world, her world, everything has to conform to her idea of it, or she will use all of her power to bring it back into compliance with how she believes things should be. Something we all do, right? <laughs> we all do that. So my anger was simply a symptom of me wanting to act in a way that I approved of, and she obviously was not doing what I wanted her to do. And so while I am not approaching Buddhahood anytime soon, I can see an improvement. And this jubilance is the gift that she offered me, a chance to deepen my own practice. And to renew my commitment to not be afraid of accepting God's love, not just for myself, but for her as well. When we trip up over our anger and our fear, it's because we're afraid to accept the gift of love that others are always offering us, no matter what they're doing at the moment. But we have to be willing to see the situation differently. Because when we can clearly see how someone's call for love from us creates a space for blessings and miracles for everyone involved, then all will know what to say is, oh Oh, yeah. yeah. Hear these wise and holy words. 
From A Course in Miracles, chapter 19. The attraction of guilt produces fear of love, for love would never look on guilt at all. It is the nature of love to look upon only the truth, for there it sees itself, with which it would unite in holy union and completion. As love must look past fear, so must fear see love not, for love contains an end of guilt as surely as fear depends on it. Love is attracted only to love. Overlooking guilt completely, it sees no fear. Being holy without attack, it could not be afraid. Fear looks on guilt with just the same devotion that love looks on itself. And each has messengers which it sends forth, and which return to it with messages written in the language in which their going forth was asked. Love mes love's messengers were gently sent and returned with messages of love and gentleness. The messengers of fear are harshly ordered to seek out guilt and cherish every scrap of evil and sin that they can find, losing none of them on pain of death and laying them respectfully before their Lord and Master. From Buddhist teacher Sharon Salzberg, on some level we become addicted to guilt because we think ruminating repeatedly over a harmful statement or action will somehow absolve us of the negative experience we've caused another. But torturing ourselves is not a form of atonement. It merely makes us weary and more likely to act out in other facets of life as a result of feeling self-deprecated and inadequate. From the letters of the Apostle Paul, Romans 11, 5 through 6. There's a fiercely loyal minority still. Not many, perhaps, but probably more than you think. They're holding on, not because of what they think they're going to get out of it, but because they're convinced of God's grace and purpose in choosing them. If they were only thinking of their own immediate self-interest, they would have left long ago. Back in 2008, a New York social worker named Julio Diaz was doing what he did every day. He was taking the subway home from the Bronx, and his routine was to get off one stop before his home stop so he could go to his favorite diner and have dinner. But this night was different. As he approached the stairs to exit the subway station, a teenager approached him and pulled out a knife and demanded that Diaz give him his wallet. And Diaz did, as most of us would do, and he handed over his wallet. But as the teenager began to walk away, Diaz called after him and he said, hey, wait a minute, you forgot something. If you're going to be out robbing people the rest of the night, you might as well take my coat so you can be warm. And the mugger stopped in his tracks and he turned around and he asked Diaz why he would do such a thing. And Diaz said, well, if you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars, then I guess you must really need the money. I mean, all I wanted to do was go get some dinner. And if you'd like to join me, you're welcome to. And to his surprise, the mugger said yes. And they went together to the diner. And everybody there, this was his routine, so everybody in the diner knew who Julio was. The manager, the waitress, even the dishwasher came and stopped by the table and said hello. Now this mystified the mother even more. And he remarked to Julio how, how he was kind to everybody, even, even the lowly dishwasher. And Julio said, well, haven't you been taught that you should be nice to everybody? And the mugger said, yeah, but I didn't think people actually did it. <laughs> And so the pair continued their dinner, 
And when it came time to settle the tab, Julio said, well, I guess you're going to have to pay for this because you've got my wallet. <laughs> but if you give it back, I'll gladly treat you. And the teen gave him back his wallet. And Julio pulled out 20 bucks and said, I'll give you this, but you've got to give me your knife. And the mugger did. Julio Diaz is an example of how we can live in this world if we can learn once and for all how to love love and then be that love in the world. We hear stories like this, and I, and I searched. The Google didn't give me any sort of update or follow-up story on Julio, so this is all I got. But we think, wow, that's nice. I could never do that. <laughs> I'd be too scared or too angry. And you know why we think that? Because we're afraid of love. We fear love for a few reasons. One, one we think we're not truly worthy of it. Two, we think that it will call us to sacrifice something else we think we love in this world. And three, which is related to number one, we feel guilty. Therefore, we don't believe we deserve love. And the ego convinces us that we're right. Yeah, we are guilty. It convinces us that we carry around some sort of original sin or stain upon our soul that prevents us from being truly good or truly innocent or truly loving. And we accept this as the truth about ourselves. Religions hammer at home, right? You are guilty. You are a stinking bag of worms, as Martin Luther called it. Guilt becomes part of our identity. And we all have things in our lives we regret doing or saying or even becoming. That guilt can be so heavy and painful that all we know how to do to get some relief is project it outward. We send out what A Course in Miracles calls messengers of fear. And it tells us that they are harshly ordered to seek out guilt and cherish every scrap of evil and sin that they can find, losing none of them on pain of death and laying them respectfully before their Lord and Master, which is the ego. And we all do this. You want proof? Scroll Facebook for five minutes. That's it. You will see all of this in action. Everyone on there is projecting their fear and their hatred and their guilt out onto others in the world. They blame everybody else for what they perceive as wrong or unjust. And the volume has just been amped up these past few weeks, especially as people debate and scream and cry and project their pain and anger and guilt onto others over recent Supreme Court rulings around affirmative action, LGBTQ rights, student loan debt, other decisions that have come down. Christian author and teacher Brian McLaren has long taught about the egoic power structures of this world that are designed to perpetuate feelings of systemic injustice and separation. The ones we're most familiar with include structures of domination. Now that is us over them. Where those who hold our views are in power, whether we're the majority or not, and we force others to behave how we believe they should be behaving by passing laws, setting up dictatorships, or other forms of control. There are stories of revolution. That's us versus them. That's where the outgroup cries, if only they weren't in control. They're the ones messing things up. 
And this revolutionary cry of throw the bums out, that leads right into the story of domination because we dream that if we held the power, we could treat them just as they have treated us. Wouldn't that feel good? Ooh. Another familiar power structure is one of isolation. That's us away from them, where we think if we could just set up our own little society somewhere, away from all these stupid and crazy people who are messing up the world, then we could create the world we want, this utopian society of peace and love and joy. This is at the heart of some attempts for some states to secede or for the nation to be divided into blue states and red states. There are also stories of victimization or us in spite of them, and this has most often been the story of the LGBTQ community. If only our oppressors were brought to justice, we say. We long to see the day when the religious right is finally neutered. It can't harm anybody anymore by telling lies about us or working to pass legislation denying us equal rights in all areas of life. Power structures have in common is that they are built on the same foundation of fear and guilt. Fear and guilt. And that's exactly what they project into the world. We believe that by projecting our fear, our guilt, our hatred, our disgust, our anger out into the world, we'll feel better. The problem is, though, I don't know if you've noticed, but everybody else is projecting their fear and their guilt and their hatred and disgust and anger out into the world. And those messengers of fear seek out guilt and cherish every scrap of evil and sin that they can find. And then we post it on Facebook. We're right and everybody else is wrong. As A.B., the black maid in the help, said to her racist employer who spent all of her time trying to keep discriminatory laws against black people on the books, ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Ain't you tired? The fact is we're all tired, right? Maybe just me, all right. <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to project all that fear and guilt and hatred and disgust and anger in the world because when we do it, it just creates more of it. It perpetuates itself. It finds all the evidence it can gather that we have judged the world rightly and everybody else is just wrong and stupid and the world would be better off if they were not here. And that's how wars start, right? But can you imagine, let's do a little thought exercise. Can you imagine just for a moment that you have invited to dinner one of the six Supreme Court justices who have recently mugged much of the American people of their rights by voting to overturn well-established precedents on race, women's, uh, women's bodily autonomy, and other rights. Just imagine. Clarence Thomas is at your dinner table. <laughs> right? <laughs> Could you be Julio Diaz in this situation? Could you treat someone like that with pure love? Someone who has projected so much guilt and harm into the world through their beliefs and actions. If you can, even if it's just an abstract thought exercise for a moment, if you can imagine stepping into Julio Diaz's shoes, then you can imagine the power structure that Jesus came here to teach us about, according to Brian McLaren. 
And that power structure has no them in it. It's some of us for all of us. Some of us for all of us. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 calls those taking part in this kind of power structure a remnant, a fiercely loyal minority. Not many, he writes, perhaps, but probably more than you think. We learn about that at the ballot box, right? They're holding on, not because of what they think they're going to get out of it. We don't do this work selfishly. But because they're convinced of God's grace and purpose in choosing them to see that power structure, some of us for all of us. If they were only thinking of their own immediate self-interest, they would have left long ago. And they're all on Facebook. (laughs) Paul didn't say that. Jubilance, this is our calling to be that remnant. To be the ones who are the sanest in the world of an insane ego. Because we're all willing to see things differently. To see our unity with others instead of that illusion of separation. We're ready to see the best in those we call enemies or opponents. Or react to, and react to them in a spirit of love instead of fear and hatred. And when we can do that, of course, says, we will begin to see more love in this world as people respond to our love with a love that perhaps is alien to them since they've forgotten who they truly are. Of course, says, love is attracted only to love. Overlooking guilt completely, it sees no fear. Being holy without attack, it could not be afraid. That's our function, jubilance to embody God's love so fully in this world that we overlook guilt completely, not just our own, but everybody else's. And in doing so, we no longer fear them. And so we no longer attack them. We no longer even see a them. We don't judge them as being less than or unworthy of the love, God's love flowing through us. Guilt, though, hmm, it's a strong force within everyone who possesses an ego. And I think that's everybody. Think so. <laughs> Buddhist teacher Sharon Salzberg goes so far as to call guilt an addiction because we think ruminating repeatedly over a harmful statement or action will somehow absolve us of the negative experience we've caused another. But torturing ourselves is not a form of atonement, she says. It merely makes us weary, ain't you tired? And more likely to act out in other facets of life as a result of feeling self-deprecated and inadequate. Jubilance. Ain't you tired? Ain't you tired of all the guilt feelings within yourself? Ain't you tired of all your fear and your hatred and your despair and your anger that you constantly project out into the world in an effort to release some, just a little bit, of your own inner pain? You may protest, though. Hey, preacher, I don't feel guilty. Those people out there, man, they should feel guilty for all the damage they're doing to the world. I'm woke. I believe everybody ought to love everybody else, so I'm on the right side of history here. Does it still feel a little judgy? (laughs) Tiny bit. (laughs) I like to think I'm on the right side of history, too, but... Here's, here's the news flash. There's, there's none of us. None of us are on the right side of an egoic world's history. Because there's nothing to be right about in a world of fear. In this world, even when we're right, we're wrong. Because we're still basing our actions 
on fear and guilt. The truth is we are afraid of God's form of love. The ego has hoodwinked all of us into thinking that unconditional, eternal love is weak. And only its plan for salvation, one based on fear and attack, that's the only thing that's going to work. Grievance makes the world go around, right? One look at the world we live in, though, will prove this assertion wrong because we have tried the ego's way and A Course in Miracles says we are welcome to try every single ego-based way we can think of to try and bring fairness into the world. And it's insane because none of them will succeed because they're all built on a foundation of fear and guilt. So what we need, jubilance, is a new foundation. A power structure that is truly built, not on the ego's idea of love, but God's love, the only thing that is real. A sum of us for all of us foundation that sees no separation, that sees no them. There's only us. And then from that place, we send out messengers of love and they will return with proof of love in the world. You've seen it. Every single one of you has, has, has had this experience. Where you're walking around, I don't people, I don't want people, I don't like people, I don't like people. And everyone you meet, you don't like. I wonder why that is. And you walk around, we do this all the time. Beth and I walk into stores, everybody loves us. We're innocent, beloved children of God. Everybody loves us. We get treated so well. The evidence of love pours in because we walk in seeing children of God. We walk in seeing Christ in the face of everyone. And when we send out love's messengers, we get proof of love back. It's amazing. I swear it works every single time. A first step to getting there, though, to break free of the ego's power structures is to use an emotion that is closely related to guilt but provides a way out of it without projection, and that is remorse. Remorse, Salzburg says, does not look like guilt. It is not, <clears throat> it is not prolonged ruminating fueled by self-hatred, but a pang of feeling that invites us to reflect. Remorse is thought to be a skillful state of mind in Buddhism. That's what it is, a skillful state of mind, a byproduct of mindfully reviewing our actions, leading to a realization that we have said or done something that has harmed someone else. And I had to do that to Beth because I got so mad about the neighbor and I had, to, I had remorse. I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm sorry you had to see me have my little temper tantrum. <laughs> she forgave me because she is loved like that. But remorse doesn't come from a place of guilt, according to Salzburg. Instead, it comes from a place of compassion and mindfulness. We see that we've caused others pain. Realization, she says, it helps us recognize our fundamental connectedness. It takes away the feeling of separation. Guilt makes us want to project it outward so we don't even have to feel it. Remorse, though, can help us recognize and take responsibility for the pain that we do cause when we're all caught up in our ego. Instead of hating ourselves for failing so miserably at love, which is what guilt is, we see that we have simply made a mistake and we can choose again. 
We can apologize and ask for forgiveness, learn from the mistake without internalizing it as some moral failure or some inherent form of sinfulness. This is where we can step into our power as part of that remnant, that fiercely loyal minority that believes love will set all things right in the end. And if things have not yet been set right, it's just not the end yet. Supreme Court decisions, presidential campaigns, the makeup of Congress, none of these things, none of these things signal ultimate tragedy. Instead, they're just signs that the egoic world is chugging along at a really healthy pace. And it's easy to take our fear out on each other, to blind and blame each, other's for the world, each other for the world's problem, the problems. We, however, must be the ones determined to be the sanest in the room. By going within and overcoming our fear of love with a capital L and learning to become the embodiment of that holy love in the world and all it will cost you jubilance is your fear. Julio Diaz never said he was afraid of the mugger. He didn't see a recalcitrant person who was inherently sinful standing before him. Instead, Julio Diaz saw someone calling out for love in a most desperate fashion, threatening violence to get something that he thought he lacked. Julio showed him the only thing he lacked in that moment was someone to show him love. Jubilance, that's what we're called to do in the world. To answer hatred with love. To answer fear with compassion. To answer guilt with forgiveness. One of the hardest lessons that a course teaches, in my opinion, is to stop seeing people based on their past. Show of hands, who among us wants to be judged in this present moment by our worst action in the past? Anybody? (laughs) No, you don't. But we do it to everybody else all the time. All the time. We look at those Supreme Court justices and we judge them on their past decisions or ideologies or actions. We judge presidential candidates, coworkers, family members, all on what they've done in the past. And certainly we're not called to be idiots, okay? We're not, we're not called to be stupid about this and just let people who have a history of abusing us in some way or another continue to do so. You can love people from afar if your safety is threatened by their immediate presence actually in your life. But we must always meet people where they are right now. They are before us for one reason only, to receive God's love through us. To do that, though, we must first see the light of God shining in them to us. This is how a course turns things around. It's not like I'm going to be so loving and then I'm going to love you. No, you have to look at someone and let them bless you. Because we don't get to God alone just by building up our own self-love. You have to see it in other people. Start with easy people. I mean, start with people who you know love you. Sure. <laughs> but you've got to move forward and even see it in the people who may legislate against you. <laughs> it's hard to do. It's hard to do. But the absolute truth about anyone you see or anyone you think about 
is that they are just like all of us. They are originally blessed. They are innocent. They are loved unconditionally by the one who created us all, no matter what they may be doing behaviorally out in the world. So we have a choice. We can continue to heed the ego's call to hate and fear them, or we can be willing to see things differently, to release our fear and guilt and allow God's love to flow through us to them and see that on the plane of spirit, they also bless us with God's love, even if their behavior in this world suggests otherwise. And this is how I get there. I think of all those that my ego tells me are separate from me and mucking up the world, causing more feelings of separation. I see them as innocent children playing make-believe. Because that's where we all are. This life is like a play. We're all playing our role. We've all been cast in different ways. Some of us have been cast as villains. Others have been cast as heroes. Others as victims. Some of us are the Greek chorus. (laughs) But we're also the audience watching this all play out. And in the end, though, like when you see a good play, you're like, man, that was the best villain I'd ever seen in my life. Wow, what a performance. We applaud everyone because we realize there's only one of us here. How talented we are to deny the innocence that we truly are so we can play that role. In truth, though, we are not the roles we play in this ego world. We're all innocent, all beloved children of God, but while we are here, we have a choice. Will we send out messengers of fear and guilt and hatred into the world, or will we send messengers of love and forgiveness and reconciliation? Yes, please, do your work. Do your work to end injustice in the world, but I beg you to not do it from a place of fear or guilt or hatred. But instead, do it from that place of divine love, that place of forgiveness and reconciliation. If we want a happy ending to this egoic play, we have to realize that we have the power to rewrite the script anytime we want by simply not playing a role that does not have love as its motivation. You remember actors are always like, what's my motivation? Your motivation is love. That's where you play your role from. Do not play any role that asks you to have fear as your motivation. We may hope to one day to see remorse from those we perceive as causing more fear and separation in the world. And miracles do happen. I don't know. We might see something like that at some point. But the better path, I think, is to look within and see how we have allowed our own fear and hatred and guilt to cause more separation in the world because we all have, if we have an ego. I think that's 99.9% of the people in the room. (laughs) And then we must allow ourselves to feel remorse for our own feelings of judgment or grievance that has created more separation and fear and guilt and despair in the world. Only then 
Can we see that our responsibility, our function in this world is to learn how to love love so fully that we are willing to put nothing out into the world except love, even in the face of often blinding fear or hatred or anger. Because jubilance, when we learn to love love, the only thing that is actually real, then this world can collectively breathe deeply and say, oh yeah. Thank you for joining us for Weekly Wisdom from Jubilee Circle. If you enjoyed the program, we hope that you'll support us by leaving a good review of this podcast wherever you download your shows. We also hope you'll support us in other ways, either by becoming a subscriber to our YouTube channel and our weekly newsletter, or by supporting us financially. You can find out how to do all of that by visiting our website at jubileecircle.com. Many thanks to Audio Coffee from Pixabay for supplying our podcast music. Join us again next week, and until then, take the words of Meister Eckhart with you. If the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will be enough. We thank you for your time and wish you the kind of week that will leave you saying, Oh, yeah.